Hello, and welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host, Bentley Kaplan. Lockdown, but still kicking in Cape Town. Now we're trying something a little different today. Maybe a little ESG 101-ish, a little bit explainer. But we also want to start giving you, our dear and awesome listeners, a little peek behind the curtain. To let you know what we're really thinking, and how our research team peers out at the world through their ESG-tinted glasses. On today's episode, we're taking a look at ESG indexes, one of the main ways that ESG investing is permeating the world of traditional finance. And as the COVID-19 pandemic starts rattling the cage of the global economy, it's becoming a very intriguing time for ESG investors. And that's because for some, ESG is all about spotting companies with more resilience, better risk management, and those that might be more resistant to the effects of a big shock, you know, like a pandemic. And for just that reason, the ESG skeptics out there might be seeing this pandemic as a long overdue acid test. And whichever side you're watching this from, there will be a lot to make sense of. So we're going to make it a little easier for you. And we're going to start with the work of a journalist, way back in the 1880s. How his early ideas were adopted, adapted, and ultimately led to one of the most widely used financial tools today. And we'll also see how the emergence of ESG echoes that pioneering spirit. To walk us through this, I've coerced the deft hand of Guido Giza. He's normally working out of our London office for MSCI's equity research team. Guido spends a lot of his time wading through data from MSCI's indexes, which is maybe not all that surprising. There is a lot to analyze. MSCI's indexes have been around for more than 40 years. But despite being a busy guy, it was actually pretty easy to track Guido down because like all of my London colleagues, he's working from home. Now, Guido, I picked up a little US history doing research for this episode, so I'll take you back to 1851, when a guy called Charles is born in Sterling, Connecticut. Now, Charles would grow up to become a journalist, and one of his formative jobs was reporting on silver mines in the Midwest, all the way back in the late 1870s. And that was apparently a great time for a shrewd operator, because there wasn't a lot of common knowledge. There was a lot of information asymmetry, and if you didn't have a point of reference, you could end up on the wrong side of a silver deal or a gold deal or, you know, whatever kind of deal people were running back then. But Charles would eventually head to Wall Street and go on to found both the Wall Street Journal and one of the earliest financial indexes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And that would end up being a turning point for the world of finance. Many others would take that original idea, develop it, improve it, and grow it. And even if you're not in the finance industry, and indexes like those constructed by MSCI are just the exit soundtrack for the news, they still matter. And that's because the success of any investment you've made, whether it's your 401k or pension or rock and roll multi-asset class portfolio, has to be measured against something. And that something is very often an index, quite literally a benchmark that can tell you whether your 10% return is something you can be smug about or a reason to shoot your financial advisor an email with an all-cap subject line and a few question marks to sweeten the deal. So Guido, we are a long way from the first early steps in financial indexes, and you have a closer eye than many on how a company like MSCI goes about constructing indexes. So can you give us a quick overview of that evolution and maybe how investors like MSCI's clients might use indexes today? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, indexes were used for for benchmarking. So for benchmarking a, a certain region, a certain country, or a certain part of the market, like large caps, small caps. Nowadays, we see that uh, indexes are not only used for benchmarking, but also for investing. So you can wrap an investment strategy in a rule 
And that rule is then calculated as an index. The index market has moved away from just using indexes for benchmarking, but also creating more and more specific indexes that represent a certain view or a strategy that you want to invest in. Right, right. So, so I take your point there. Indexes are not just ways to measure the market anymore, but, but pretty sophisticated investment tools. And I suppose this is where the, you know, the devil's in the detail, because as soon as you start to infuse an index with like a specific strategy or an investment philosophy, you start meddling with your sample of the market, right? You start skewing things a bit. Yeah, th- th- that's a good point. I mean, traditionally, the, the market cap benchmarks, they were very broad. The purpose was to measure the full opportunity set of the market without any filters except for filters on investability. But as you said correctly, when we move to a certain investment style or investment strategy, then you apply certain filters. So you overweight or underweight or you you subselect certain securities. It, it very much depends on what strategy they want to follow. For example, if you follow a factor strategy, for example, a momentum strategy, typically you do that because you're seeking alpha. But I mean, investors are usually also aware that if you focus on a uh, momentum factor that you will constrain your portfolio, you will have less securities in, in your index, and that can also mean higher risk in, in, certain, in certain situations, but you're doing that, you get rewarded with alpha. But there are also other investors, there are also investors who take a different view saying, look, I want to, be, uh, I want to reduce risk. So it's not about maximizing alpha, I want to reduce risk. And those investors might go for a different strategy. They might go for a low volatility strategy where they reweight the portfolio to reduce the volatility to maximize diversification in the portfolio. There are many different objectives in the market, but what index providers like MSCI have been doing is to create a toolbox to address those different needs depending on what the client is looking for. Okay, okay, right. So if investment strategies or priorities are essentially driving the way that indexes are built I think it, then it kind of makes sense that we're seeing ESG being infused into sort of mainstream indexes. And ESG might be relatively new compared with other investment approaches, but I can definitely see that it's, you know, it's moved on from a, a pure sort of values-based concept. It's not just about screening out the morally questionable anymore. It's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. As someone who works on the, the bleeding edge of ESG indexes, maybe you can run us through some of the developments that you've seen recently. Like, how are index investors using ESG data? Yeah, I mean, it has evolved a lot. I would say 15, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, ESG was, for most investors, it was about negative screening. I think many investors have moved on from just excluding tobacco companies towards a more inclusive approach, a positive selection approach, meaning overweighting or even subselecting companies that have high ESG ratings. And when you look at, for example, the MSCI ESG ratings here, um, the view is different from just taking an ethical view. I mean, the purpose of MSCI ESG ratings is really to measure corporate-specific risks. So how is a company exposed to corporate governance risks, to supply chain risks, to climate change risks? So th- there is a financial intent. We have seen that our ESG index have not only shown uh, improvement in, in performance at ACQUI level over the past 10 years, but also lower risk figures, especially lower drawdowns, so the crisis elements. So whenever there has been a severe drawdown, that's where the ECNS has added value. Or we've also seen that there has been a clear risk reduction in terms of how often the indexes suffer from severe incidents, right? 
And I think that that really gets to the, the heart of this episode. I mean, in a time when investors are clawing at anything that can protect their investments from the worst of COVID-19, a lot of people will be looking to ESG. Now, I don't want to get too much into the details here. I know that there are some research pieces that you're going to be putting out in the next few weeks where you, you tackle some really meaty questions. So for now, maybe the best piece of wisdom we can squeeze out of you is maybe knowing where to look. Like, what's the best place for investors to start when they're trying to understand how ESG investment strategies have performed in the, the context of the coronavirus pandemic? When you just look at the headline figures, the ESG indexes have done very well. So all the ESG indexes at a global level, so the, the tilt approach, the best-in-class approach, the optimized approach, um, so the different index construction rules, they all have outperformed the market cap benchmark. But many people, we've seen that on LinkedIn posts, for example, have been very skeptical. There have been uh, people criti making critical remarks such as, oh, yeah, you just divested from oil and gas, and that's why you outperform because the oil sector was doing bad. It's not real. Um, so there is a lot of skepticism in the market. And the best way to address it is to do a proper factor attribution, to take the active performance, the output, and then decompose it into all the factor attributions. So how much of the outperformance came from sector exposures? How much came from currency exposure? How much came from equity style factors? Maybe we have low beta exposure or low vol exposure. And maybe even you know, bigger picture, is that any different to how you would look at you know, ESG index performance outside of such a crazy time? For, for, for the coronavirus, we just looked at the past three months. But we also looked at the full life track record of our ESG indexes. So we have ESG indexes that have 10 years and more life track record. And we see that at a global level, they have done well. So it's not only during the coronavirus crisis. So in the long run, we've seen that um, looking at environmental, social and governance risks and reflecting that in an index has added value. Well, there you have it. A lot of ways to think about ESG indexes under the harsh light of COVID-19. But I think what Guido has really made clear for me through MSCI's index data is that even though measuring the success of ESG is not easy, the more time we have to build data, improve ratings and build indexes, the more we can test, the more we can poke it with a stick to see how it really performs under pressure. And that makes me think about Charles Dow again. Even though his original approach to building an index as a tool to measure market performance has morphed into a whole different beast, there is something full circle in how ESG is becoming embedded in indexes. And that's because when Dow was reporting on silver mines in Colorado in the 1870s, he came face to face with opaque markets, and how too little information can be a really bad thing for a lot of people. And in some ways, a financial index, like the ones being constructed by MSCI, are a way of turning that all around, a way of making things more transparent, more objective, and a way of using data to actually see past the snake oil salesmen that prowl the exciting new frontiers. And for all the headlines and debate, Underneath it all, ESG is very much about carrying on in that spirit, in showing new ways of measuring and above all, in promoting transparency. And that's it for this episode. A huge thanks to Guido for his insights and for his time while he juggles parenting, work and dreaming of MSCI's indexes. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. All and any feedback is great. It helps us get better and to get you what you really want to hear. Don't forget to hit that old subscribe button. Stay safe, stay sane, and let's keep washing those hands.
The MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.